Hello and welcome to the ASB Investment Podcast, a podcast that keeps you up to date on the market and helps you make smart choices with your investments. Before we get started, we should inform you that the views based in this podcast are those of the participants only. As individual circumstances differ, you should seek appropriate professional advice. I'm Jonathan Beale, General Manager of Wealth at ASB. Today, our Wealth Senior Economist, Chris Tennant-Brown, and I will be discussing some of the recent events that have impacted the markets, and when the right time might be to react or just sit tight. Chris, wonderful to have you here uh, to talk a little bit about what's been going on in the markets uh, recently, which has been, um, I know, concerning for investors. Um, maybe before we start, maybe do you want to give a little bit of background on Chris Tennant-Brown and what you've done in your career and how you've ended up here at, at ASB? Well, I've been at ASB for quite a while now and uh, have been an economist uh, for um, both Commonwealth Bank in Australia and for ASB here in New Zealand. And, and uh, the punchline for most of the career is, hey, there's all these things going on in the world. What does it mean for interest rates or the exchange rate or um, my house that I'm a looking at buying. Um, and right now, my focus over the past few years has been on what are all these events mean for my savings, which is which is great. Uh, but prior to that, I studied economics at Auckland University. Feels like a long time ago, but it does uh, give you a bit of grey head credibility, I guess, when it comes to talking about things that are going on in the markets. It's, it's interesting with the markets, how they've been over the last few months. I hear a lot about 1987. And in 1987, I think it was my first year at university in London. Um, and then when I moved to New Zealand back in 2002, one thing that surprised me was people were still talking about 1987 share market crash in New Zealand, um, where sort of long forgotten in, in the UK. Um, I hear a lot of people saying, is this the same as 1987, uh, what we're seeing now? What would you be uh, your view around that? I hear the same thing. And, and, and people, I'm sure, still use 1987 as a reason not to invest in New Zealand, but but not in the rest of the world. Uh, that was a really major downturn and uh, for the share market, but also the economy was going through some massive changes. If I look back at 1987, um, when I was just starting work, uh, I, I think a lot of people had no idea what they were investing in. And it was actually very hard to work out what you're investing in for a number of companies which um, evaporated off the share market uh, during that, that crash. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty severe. Now, if you look at the New Zealand market, it's it's very easy to understand exactly what all the companies on the that are listed on the New Zealand share market do, and uh, they are all operating companies. It's not a whole lot of finance companies, a whole lot of property development companies. Um, they are operating companies that that we all know and understand. The Trade Me, Air New Zealand, Fletcher Building, they are all companies that we can see what they do in in everyday life, and that's such a big difference to 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 1987. But it has had an impact on on investor sentiment. I think we had uh, quite a few other big uh, crashes and corrections along the way, but 87 does seem to be the one that sticks out in people's minds. And every October, um, especially on the decade, the, the, the media does their bit as well by saying it's you know, 30 years since 87 or, or whatever the number happens to be. The... Um if you look at investment returns over the last number of years, it's been positive for for quite a while. And uh, one thing I suppose that's been missing has been any sort of volatility, any sort of up and down to to the market, and that's sort of come back now. Is the is that is that normal, or what is what, or has it been abnormal previously? What's been going on, Chris? Do you think? Well, the normal thing is that uh, investors hate uncertainty, and markets usually get negative when there's a lot of uncertainty. 
So in that sense, what's happening at the moment isn't that unusual. There's a lot of uncertainty around. What is unusual is that we actually got through 2017. Uh, with all that same sort of uncertainty, um, yet it was a phenomenal period for investments. In fact, the US share market had the longest winning streak, uh, 15 months of uninterrupted gains, when a lot of these things that we're worried about now were, were playing out. Uh, if I look at the, the last uh, 10 years, it's actually been in a pretty a good period for, for share markets. And there has been some uncertainty uh, along the way. So I think the the return of volatility uh, or um, basically the return of share markets dipping every now and then is is actually normal. And the abnormal thing was that we just got to, could take everything in our stride through 2017. And just to give a bit of sort of perspective of what's happened in share markets and the, and the fall, how, how does that actually... Is it as large as people are saying, or what's actually happened? Well, one of the things which is tough at the moment is it depends on what day you look at the markets. You know, we've had some spectacular dips in late 2018, uh, but we've had some spectacular bounce backs as well. At one stage, for example, the US share market was down around 20%, uh, but on Boxing Day it bounced up 5% in a single session. And, and so now... In the US share market, it's about 10% off the record highs that we set back in um, October. And the, the, that 10% dip is something that investors should expect to be happening reasonably regularly. Now, if I look back over my career, we're literally in the dozens if I count the number of times share markets have, have fallen that, that much. And when you start to get really big corrections, which we're not having right now, uh, but a really big correction like the 87, uh, the global financial crisis, well, hopefully those sorts of things only come along um, every decade or two. But a 10% uh, decline over a, uh, over a quarter or so is more normal than people would think. And particularly when we've had such a good run of uninterrupted gains through 2017, I think it can be a little bit more uncomfortable than what it usually is. Is there a particular one thing that's been driving markets down or is it a combination of things? What, what, what would you say to that? Well, a lot of the things we seem to find out these days come in the form of a tweet, which is, which is something new about this uh, current period of volatility. Uh, a lot of it stemming from the, from the states and, and Trump's policies, which uh, are a little bit unorthodox. Uh, and uh, there's approach to diplomacy is, differs from what we've had to deal with in the, in, in the past. So that's, that's one area of uncertainty. Um, it flows into other parts of the world when you've got things like the trade skirmish going on with, with China. Uh, but on the whole, um, the one thing, that's, uh, the one thing that's really troubling investors, I think, at the moment is the prospect of, of rising interest rates. Because all of those things I've talked about have actually been around for a, for a couple of years now. Um, but this question mark about how much higher will U.S. interest rates go um, now that the U.S. economy is is going reasonably well and the Fed's well on a path to, to tightening interest rates is something that investors have been troubling with. We saw it back in February as as well, and uh, I think that's a that's a fair question. Interest rates have been low since the global financial crisis, incredibly low, and central banks are now around the world trying to bring interest rates back up to more normal levels, and markets are struggling with that a little bit. And and here in New Zealand, outlook for interest rates continue to be 
lower for longer is what what we're hearing, which will have an impact on share market here in New Zealand. I would have thought. Yeah, well, it's been a it's been a positive backdrop for for investments here and abroad, which is why markets worry, uh, share markets worry when it looks like this good thing, low interest rates, might be taken away from 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 companies. But here, we're just not seeing the sort of inflation pressures within the economy which would make us think that the Reserve Bank's going to need to raise interest rates aggressively. So our uh, our central bank cut our official cash rate to a record low um, back in 2016. Our, all other interest rates in the economy have been very low for a few years now, and we think that that could persist um, for another couple of years. So that's tough if you're trying to make money out of a term deposit. Um, but good news if you're a company, most companies have a little bit of debt to fund their operations, and the fact that that debt has been quite cheap and is expected to stay uh, historically cheap is, is good news for our economy. In the States, of course, the question is, interest rates are definitely rising. How much further will they rise and how much impact will this have on companies and their and their abilities to grow their, their earnings? And then uh, I, at Christmas, I was lucky enough to be back in the UK and um, the the number one story was Brexit, followed by the number two story, which was Brexit, closely followed by uh, what Theresa May was doing at Christmas. Um is Brexit going to have an impact on share markets around the world, do you think, or is it isolated to more UK and Europe? I think there's 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 two bits to that question, and 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 the, and the same with the US China stuff. In the first instance, Brexit's definitely having an impact on the UK economy and UK financial markets. I mean, the first thing that moved, and this is often the case, was the was the pound. Uh, the pound the pound weakened considerably after the after the Brexit vote went through in the first place. And and the share market struggling as investors try and work out what's the landscape going to be for for UK based companies that are heavily exposed to Europe. I mean, the financial sector is a is a great example that's that's got a massive exposure to Europe, and it's a completely different beast if it's an island in isolation compared to an integrated banking system that operates throughout Europe. So. Those things have already been taking their toll on on investments and financial markets in the UK, and the way forward is uh, as as more news comes in. If it's if it's good, people might start to get a bit optimistic and and price in some growth uh, for those those businesses that they're looking at the share prices of. Um, if it's bad, uh, they'll they could go down go down further, and that's why. Uh, it's been such an interesting time to be looking at the UK economy. Now, the second impact I mentioned is this whole idea of cooperation and Brexit, um, what the US is doing in terms of their attitude to, to deficits and, and global trade. Um, to me, they create an interesting question about global cooperation because a backdrop through all of our careers, in fact, if we go back to World War Two, has really been that we want to cooperate more and more, uh, be it by having more integrated financial markets, um, trade agreements, and, and, and so forth. And you know that's really getting questioned when an economy uh, chooses to leave a, uh, an economic union like uh, Brexit, or or a president gets voted in on. Uh, Protection policies, uh, like like Trump did, and throughout my entire career and 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 my qualification, uh, the the standard teaching is that tariffs are bad, trade agreements are good, 
and and Trump will argue the exact opposite and and can get elected on on that promise. So so there's some fairly sound economic theories that are getting questioned by politicians and and voters at the moment. And 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 that's where uh, Brexit and and Trump I think symbol uh, symbolize a bit of a question mark over the way the world will go forwards. Is it going to be like the last 30 years? Or is it going to be? Or is it going to be different? And I think when markets become volatile and people start to see their their value um, fall, it's obviously uh, worrying and disconcerting. Um, but then I hear again that sort of uncertainty. Of what's going on now? People start thinking about the future is going to be even worse. Um, have you got a view about sort of the outlook? And uh, because I think you can get yourself very worked up that it's bad now. It's just going to get worse rather than are there some clear fundamentals that things are positive and actually looking at the medium to long term might be a better solution? Absolutely. I think particularly the way the media works now, we get a lot of information incredibly quickly. And and in the case of tweeting, it's completely unfiltered. Um, So people are bombarded with information and it can sometimes feel like we're at an absolute pivotal moment for the future of the world. And um, every day is potentially a pivotal moment for the future of the world. The way I put it into perspective as a, as a long-term investor, I think, well, if I'm going to be saving for my retirement, I'm in this game for another 15, 20 years. I cast my mind back to what's happened in the last 15 to 20 years. There's plenty of moments where the politics is really scary, the events seem unsolvable, and uh, yet we work out a way forward. That's that's the way markets work. That's the way that that people work. And I look at uh, look at Trump. It's a really difficult time uh, for investors when they're getting bombarded with all this new information about the way that Trump wants global relationships to to work. Uh, but I cast my mind back to the nineties. You know, we had the the Gulf Gulf War one in the early nineties. Markets got incredibly upset about that. Uh, then we had Gulf War Two. Um, we had the the terror attacks. There are all sorts of moments where we really questioned an awful lot about the way that world worked, and and didn't always like the way that global uh, politicians responded to events. And in that sense, I get back to thinking, well, why would I expect the next twenty years to be any different from the past twenty years? I'm going to have a lot of uncertainty in the rest of my investment life. To a certain extent, you've just got to live with it because a lot of the stuff in the short term makes a massive difference because it makes markets move up and down several percent in a day. In the long term, it's just part of the fabric that the world operates in. And the um, I always sort of think in the media and and commentary around you know investments or KiwiSaver or, or managed funds or whatever it is that we always talk about shares and you know, most people who invested in types of investments, the, the smallest part of their portfolio is actually shares. We don't talk about the sort of the cash element or the fixed interest element. And so, and if I look at the media, it's always share market, bloodbath, all those types of things. So flip it around a little bit, that diversification and, and all that sort of um, way people manage money, that's a benefit today for doing it? Oh, absolutely. I think if there's anything over the last uh, year or two, um, that you take out of all of this is the is the evidence of the benefits of diversification. Like I mentioned, um, the a lot of these worries uh, stemming from the states were actually there in two thousand and seventeen. So if you thought the day that Trump got elected, I don't like the way that he's going to take U.S. politics, you would have missed out on 
a phenomenal period of share market gains in the first uh, year that, that Trump was in charge. It was a, it was just a great period for for investments. Now we're worried about it a a, a lot. So. Do you want to get completely out of one market just because it looks a little bit rocky? Well, the last couple of years I think have demonstrated that you that you shouldn't. Uh, at the other end of the scale, you know, one of the questions we we received back in September when the US share market was at a record high, and so was the New Zealand share market. Uh, why do we have all these pesky bonds in our portfolio that are doing nothing except dragging on returns? The shares are going great; these bonds are uh, are producing nothing. Uh, yet bonds in the fourth quarter were the best performing asset class and buffered some of the volatility that share markets were were bringing. And so so I think it's just like um, any other time that I've been working, um, the diversified approach is the, still the one to go for. And you know, an extreme example, I had no idea what was going to happen on, on Boxing Day in the share markets, but I certainly wouldn't have put any money on the US share market bouncing up 5%, and yet it does that. So on a day-to-day basis, these things are very hard to predict, and that's why uh, long-term strategies and diversification, I think, are really important for most investors. And if you're giving some advice to investors to, so what should I do in this current environment, what are maybe the couple of things that you suggest? I think uh, uh, my, my, my parents' and grandparents' advice to, uh, to not read the newspaper when you're feeling a bit down is a really good strategy. Um, because there's a lot of news and a lot of it you can't do anything about and it doesn't make any difference um, anyway. And and so if you ignore some of the noise, uh, what do you focus on? Well, I think you just focus on your own long-term goals. Um, we as investment managers expect this sort of volatility. We don't know what Trump's going to do next or what the Labour government's going to do next or, or who will win the next election. But we do know that markets deal with this sort of uncertainty over the long term, both share markets and bond markets. So if we're managing money with that sort of volatility in mind, the most important thing is that the timeframes that we're thinking about for these investment strategies to pay off match up with individuals' uh, timeframes. So rather than thinking, should I be changing strategy because of something I've read in the news, uh, I think times like this are a really good time to reflect on your own investment goals and time horizons. I mean, certainly if this sort of volatility and events really upsets people, like you can't sleep at night, well, maybe it is time to talk to someone and get some advice uh, because because no investment should make you uh, lose 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 too much sleep. Um, but if you're if you're in the right sort of investment, and particularly if you've got ten years to go, twenty years to go until you need um, the the money, and the investment strategy pays off, well, not only is now a volatile time that's a bit unsettling, I can guarantee that there'll be plenty more between now and um, two thousand and thirty eight or whatever the number is uh, that uh, that that the investment strategy needs to pay off. So to a certain extent, we've got to learn how to live with them. And make sure that um, what we're doing is right for for, for you. I think it, it does sound a bit of like a bit of a cliche, doesn't it? But you know, focus on the long term and thinking about your goal. But um, like I was talking to my son the other night about um, he's fourteen and what his um, what he wants to do in his first year, his next year at school. And it was like, oh, do I want to end the year with a merit achievement or an, or you know, an exceptional achievement? I said, well, you just need to choose, Harry, like which one. And then there's going to be some stuff that you've got to do differently to get it. But you need to have a goal. You need to have something to aim for. Uh, it's just like investing, isn't it? Like, what? Why did I? Why did I make a decision to invest my money into something different? What was it for? And I think focusing on that does help. 
as you say, if if I'm worried and I can't sleep at night, get some advice. But actually, what was the what was the reason I invested this money? What was I trying to achieve? Am I still doing that? Um, it does sound like a cliche, but actually, it does work. Yeah, and I think it was Warren Buffett who said these are the sort of times where transfer of wealth goes from the impatient to the patient. Yeah, and I think that's, that's just an awesome way of thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's why I like when I'm trying to imagine what the next 20 years might be like and the uncertainty I might have to deal with. Think of what I've already dealt with in the past 20 years and then it normalises it a little bit. And you know, we don't, don't always like what's going on and none of us like when markets correct like this, but would be dreaming to think that we won't be delivering more 10% drops from time to time um, from, a, from a share market um, over the next 20 years. That, that'll happen plenty of times. We can't predict them. Uh, otherwise, you and I would be living on our Cayman Island uh, resort. Nice. Um, but, uh, but we do know that they've happened in the past and, and the way that we manage money works and they'll happen in the future. And um, we just have to make sure that our investors are... are prepared for the sort of volatility that might deliver, or they've got a diversification strategy um, where they minimise the exposure to the things that they don't like if volatility is a real problem. I'm glad you raised that because it's very similar to the way we think about managing money. So, you know, we ask investors to have a goal and what are you trying to achieve and work towards that, but don't suddenly change your beliefs or what you're trying to achieve just because things have gone a little bit, a little bit different to what you think. And that's when it's tested. And I think you know what we what we try and do is go well. Okay, um, we've set our asset allocation. Do we need to change anything? Yes or no. And and if you don't change something, you've still made a decision not to do something because you still believe in it. And I think that those processes and the way you do that are really important. And if you don't understand, then then seek advice, ask the question because I think more knowledge you you get, then it's the better for you. Yeah, I, I agree. And and one of the things that I really like about uh, working at ASB is that that long-term focus aligns with my experience that I've built up over the years working in, in markets. I mean, the worst job I had was uh, being a foreign exchange forecaster because every day you have to try and work out what the exchange rate's going to do and, and, and then get beaten up by it, what it actually does. And there was a very short-term focus. Um, if you accept that the day-to-day movements are very hard to predict, then automatically you start to focus on, well, what can I predict over the longer term? And then it's a case of going, well, what do I do when the day-to-day stuff is unpleasant, uh, like we saw in December? And and that's when it comes to um, having strategies where you can ride it out so that you get the 5% day on Boxing Day um, where markets bounce up rather than sitting on the sidelines thinking that you know what's going to happen next and then be frustrated because you missed out. And and so that alignment of real long-term focus for investments sits sits well with me because it mirrors the experience I've built up um, as a forecaster. And a lot of investors with ASB, Chris, will be, some will be investing for growth, but some will be investing for income. And so they'll be in sort of more income-orientated um, portfolios. Um, so volatility is is still there, but the income stream still still being paid out. Do you want to sort of talk a little bit about how that works and dividends and how why is that consistent? Yeah, I think it's it's great to um, to bring up investors with an income focus. Because uh, firstly, um, it's when the share markets get excited and 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 we see these big dips that a lot of interest gets paid to markets. Um, but a lot of investors are relying on income. 
we've talked about why markets will always have these periods of volatility, and that's just normal for for growth focused investors. They need to get used to it. Income focused investors have got a, quite a different environment now compared to what they would have enjoyed over the last 10, 20 years. And that's because interest rates have, have really been falling since the since the 80s. They go up and down each year. Um, but we were paying double digits on um, fixed interest investments in the 80s. You could get you know, 12 to 15% on a bond. Some of our investors tell us about the 22% they paid on their for, first mortgage. Now, if you look at the bond market now, uh, yields or the, or the types of returns you'll get on a bond is down to... Two or three percent. Same with the term deposit; they're in that two to three percent range. It was only ten years ago that you could get more than six percent on a term deposit. So, the life for an investor chasing income is is really difficult because it is different um, from from their previous experiences. Where New Zealand's a little bit lucky is the is the share market itself actually pays a good dividend yield. Now, there's a number of stocks in the New Zealand market that are that are still paying out um, very strong dividends, despite the fact that we've had a bit of volatility in the share market itself. So we can construct portfolios with exposure to bonds, a bit of exposure to to shares for that dividend stream uh, that can still generate quite a quite a good income. And it's nowhere near the six to eight percent people look back on and remember from term deposits 10, 15 years ago. But I don't think those days are coming back either. You know, and particularly in the 80s, inflation gobbled up an awful lot of that return anyway. Um, but this low interest rate environment, um, which is impacting income-focused investors, I actually think is going to be around for a little while. So how we construct a portfolio with the exposure to bonds, the exposure to cash, and any exposure to shares, if that's appropriate, that's that's really important to try and generate the income that that people want because we can't get it from a um, a lazy old term deposit like we're used to. I, I was really surprised when I first moved to New Zealand that the uh, you know the people were lovely, the beaches were lovely, and shares paid really high dividends. And um, you know it's just a bit of an anomaly, isn't it? Like if you go to the UK or the or the US, there aren't this dividend payment that comes out of equities, but here. It does. So it's a really good op- opportunity for people who are needing that ongoing income for a long time to actually be investing in into New Zealand equities or Australasian equities. Yeah, and, and the the um, the two headwinds um, over the over the past twenty or thirty years um, has been one. What you mentioned, people will say, "Oh, there's no way I'm investing in shares after what happened in '87," which is unfortunate because, as we've discussed, the market's so different. And the other thing, which was a feature. Um, was that the term deposits paid such high returns 10 years ago. I remember at one point in my career, I, I thought I'd helped make what I, was a great New Zealand share fund for people to invest in. And it had an expected return of around 8%, uh, which is uh, sort of what we'd still expect to get from the New Zealand share market over the long over the long run. Uh, but, but people would rightly say to me, oh, I don't know whether I really need to do that. I'm getting 6.5% from my term deposit. Do I really need to take that risk? And it does seem like a lot of risk to get an extra 1.5% and be exposed to shares rather than a term deposit. So now New Zealand actually looks a little bit more like the rest of the world with our interest rates being so low. Um, and I'm speaking of term deposits and bond returns. And we're very similar to the rest of the world. But our share market still has that characteristic of a, of a dividend focus, uh, which, which is a bit of a plus for local investors. And then looking maybe looking forward a bit... Um 
anything sort of local events like elections and the tax review coming up is that how do you see that impacting on uh, on markets yeah i think the tax is is really interesting and and it'll it'll get a lot of focus and um the the, the usual backwards and forwards from from politicians um but for me i think it's a wee way off there, there's going to be some good ideas discussed but ultimately it's going to be an issue for the next election. And uh, as we've seen in the past, what uh, what a working group can come up with as some you know reasonable economic ideas uh, is one thing, but working out whether it'll win you the next election is another. And, uh, and so that'll be the game for the politicians, I think, as some of these tax um, things come out. Um, but there's also some some changes. And, and, and if we focus on property, for example, that's one area where clearly there's an interest. Um, you know, capital gains tax on on aspects of property is is something people be really interested in. And um, there already are tax changes impacting property, and the uh, the things like the the restrictions on foreign buyers um, that are impacting property. So there's a lot of uncertainty over that asset class anyway. And then this uh, the tax working group findings will will add to that. And, and then uh, it, it seems like a new Labour government, um, but before too long we'll be in uh, the run into the 2020 election when we're trying to decide, well, is this something that the country will vote for or, or not? A lot of the a lot of the media has obviously been around sort of um, international equities and the volatility and some of the falls we've seen. How has um, sort of local markets here in New Zealand and Australia compared to sort of international markets? We've we've gone really well uh, relative to to offshore markets. New Zealand market couldn't escape the downdraft in the in the fourth quarter, uh, but it was in positive territory for for the year. I think the overall share market was up nearly five percent for the full year. So much much better than these offshore markets, and we're within um, two or three percent of the of the of the peak that we that we saw late last year um, in in September. Because we've had a little bit of a recovery through January as well, so our market's gone a, a, a lot better, and and some of that's been um, one-off stories. Trade Me, for example, had a um, had a great uh, return over over December because the um, takeover issues there really drove the share price up. And at the other extreme, we've had some companies that have that have that have struggled as well. But in aggregate, um, the the New Zealand market's been a much uh, friendlier place to be over 2018 than offshore markets. That probably plays into the earlier conversation we had around diversification and having so having some money in, not having money in all one asset class, having money in a number of different asset classes. So having some in international equities, some in Australasia is actually a good thing. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, the, the New Zealand share market has performed well and our economy has gone incredibly well over the last uh, over the last 10 years. So it makes sense that it's been a good place to, to invest. But as we know, over the last 30 or 40 years, um, there's plenty of examples we can give where the New Zealand market's out of sync. Asian crisis, for example, our market really suffered and so did our economy. And it's times like that you'd be pretty happy to have some money in, in Europe or the US as far away from us as you uh, as you could have it from a diversification perspective. So I think the case is still there. Um, for New Zealand investors, though, it's really nice that most of them will have a reasonable exposure to New Zealand assets and they have performed better than the global assets over the last few years. And it's interesting that you don't want to take all your money out of international equities and go, oh, let's put it into... New Zealand, because that's doing better. But there is a, um, I know one of the decisions we made at um, investment committee was to sort of 
uh, overweight a little to Australasian away from international. So you don't you don't move the whole lot of money, but you sort of tilt a little bit more to Australasian, which is over the medium to long term should be an actual positive to uh, to the performance. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, if we, if we knew how to pick the winning asset class each quarter, it'd be a whole different ball game. But but. Uh, you and I are, uh, are of similar age, and and we've got a few decades of experience to say, um, on a uh, on a day by day and quarter by quarter basis, you you can't uh, you can't pick the best one, um, but hopefully you get it um, the mix right over the long term. Now I know um, you've got the Trump T-shirt, and you stay at Trump Plaza when you can, and Trump Spa. Um, so I know you're a big fan of uh, of the of the of the of the Don, but. Uh, how how is the the government lockdown? How has that impacted on sort of markets uh, over recent times? Oh, Trump has um, has uh, changed things around quite a bit. For a start, the sheer volume of information we get um, and the way we get it is quite is quite different. Um, to put some perspective on it, though, I, I I started to really focus on writing up um, ASB's commentaries in a different way back in two thousand and seventeen. And every month, I would uh, essentially have some new Trump news uh, to to talk about. And the punchline would be, and by the way, share markets had a great month. And uh, that was the story right up until um, January. Even though some of the stuff sounded pretty worrying. And and then through 2018, it changed. We started to really get worried about a few things, including rising US interest rates in February, and then really focused in on Trump policies um, later in the in the year, um, with with the real volatility we saw around the time of the US election in, in particular. So we have uh, had to get used to uh, to that to a certain extent. Um, but my advice uh, to myself. Um, as much as anything, but also to investors. To a certain extent, you've got to look through all of that stuff and focus on the fundamentals. How are companies actually going? What do they think of it? How are central banks interpreting a lot of the stuff that's going on? And what does it mean for their interest rate policy settings? And that's what I try and do. But it gets a little bit hard sometimes when you're uh, when you're getting such um, fascinating uh, news feeds coming in. Brilliant. Hey, well, Chris, firstly, I'd like to say thank you very much. I've really enjoyed talking to you, as always. And um, I suppose what I like about it is that You've got your sort of um, background in investments, but also your background in economics. Now you bring the two sort of worlds together and how explain things in a real simple, easy way to understand. So hopefully people listening to the podcast have got something out of this and have learned something and um, really enjoyed talking to you. So thanks very much for coming along today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ASB Investment Podcast. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to hear, please contact us at podcast at asb.co.nz.